0: Chapter Three. I pulled up in front of Ra- Rachel's pristine colonial in East Beach, with its black shutters and but ugly terra columns. I was the first one there, but I parked on the street anyway. If I pulled in into the driveway, Mom and Keith might block me in. I'd be trapped with no way out if the interrogation became unendurable. I'd baked a pecan pound cake so that everybody would at least come to the conversation cheerful and full of sugar and they would still want to know where and when and how I let this happen. Rachel especially would be so pushy. i had been penciling and inking far too long, leaving the scripts to other writers. I couldn't invent a good origin story for Digby any more than I could think one for violence. Digby himself, while very young, might be impressed to hear he'd sprung from a late night encounter with a Batman. But what about Digby's older self? I didn't want to tell my parents or Rachel or my kid that I didn't know his father's name or job or medical history or even, for that matter, if he was a decent person. But that was the truth. He had good good taste in comics, I could say. He was an excellent French kisser, I could say. As I trudged up the stairs onto Rachel's wraparound white porch, her husband Jake came barreling out the front door blind, slamming it behind him. He almost ran me down. I tried to dodge and stumble. He dropped the bag that he was carrying to catch me before I pitched and banged down to the stairs with the cake carrier. Damn it, lay," he said. And then I flushed, and he froze, he Still, his hands still on my arms. He hadn't caught me lay in years. I had my balance, so I crabbed sideways away from him, out of his gasp. I didn't like him touching me. Most of the time, I thought of him as Rachel's accessory, buckled on but irrelevant like a wristwatch. His hands hung in the air for a second, awkward and empty, before he dropped them to his sides. Damn it yourself, JJ, I said at last. Giving giving him his own old name back as lightly as I could. The letters made my mouth taste sore, and I had a hard time connecting them to the man in front of me. I thought of him either as Jake or Mister Rachel. We hadn't been Le or JJ to each other since we were kids. We'd spent our afternoons from third grade on in my family's base basement rec room reading new comic books as fast as I, as fast as they came in. We'd eat fiddle faddle and parse plot twists trying to guess if our favourites would survive the cliffhanger endings. As we put each away into the plastic sleeve and filed it in order in the proper box, we'd discuss what superpower we'd each want, debating hyperspeed or flight, teleportation or telekinesis. I never said it out loud, but most girls I wanted to be super pretty. Rachel had dips on that power though. Every boy I knew turned into a stammering wreck in her presence. Even JJ, maybe especially JJ, who blushed and puffed whenever she breezed through the wreck room. JJ mostly wanted to be super non, not a fat kid, though he never said that either. We knew these things about each other without saying. Then, when we were seniors, JJ's daddy had a major major stroke and died. In the wake of it, things went all kinds of wrong and weird between us, and he quit school To help his mom run Jacobi Motors, the used car dealership. Our paths never crossed after that. We never spoke or even saw each other. Not once. His house was biking distance close to mine, so it had to be on purpose. Four years later, he showed up at mom and Keith's annual drop-in Christmas Eve party. I was on door duty, but I didn't recognize him. He was a tall, blond stranger, smiling and holding a bottle of Riesling, Merry Christmas, he said. He leaned in to kiss the air near my cheek, and oddly enough, I recognized him by then by smell. He was three inches taller, with a gym body, subtle highlights, and maybe a nose job, too. For sure, he had done some kind of movie actor nonsense to his teeth. Uniform and overall white, he made his smile seem insincere. But under a dash of subtle aftershave, I caught the essential smell of my one time best friend. JJ? I said, boggling at him. I go by Jake now, Leah, he said, and then clapped me on the shoulder, heartily, as if I were some bro of his in a beer ad. Good to see you. We'll have to catch up. He thrust the cold wine into my hands and breezed past, heading right for Rachel. He stayed with her all night, lounging against the wall, telling her all about how he would saved the family business, and now had a three-year plan to open up a Nissan dealership as well. He was self-made Ken, charming the pants of holiday champagne Buzz Barbie. He called me Leah because you don't call the first girl you ever had sex with by her old pet name, not when the name was Lay. not if you have always been in love with her stepsister. Now I stood in the wake of our old names, touching my cake carrier to my chest and feeling an old bag tang in the air around me. He bent down to stuff Spilled clothes back into the dro- bag he dropped. It was one of Rachel's reusable Whole Foods bags. Are you on a Goodwill run? I asked him. Stupid. But it was the only thing that came to my head. No. What are you doing here? He shoved a flop of blown, blown out hair off his forehead. And he straightened up. It's Sunday, I said. Where else could I possibly be? He raised his eyebrows. Rachel canceled lunch. She sent you an email. A khaki pant's leg with a razor crease iron ironed into it was hanging out of the bag. I tucked it back in and saw a baby blue shirt with pinstripes and a button-down collar. This was practically Jake's uniform. Then I realized that the gray knit wad of cloth on top was a pair of boxer briefs, and I flushed and made myself look back into his face. Really look. He had dark circles under his eyes. And his face was puffy. For a moment, it felt like I could see the round, sad face of my old friend JJ. A ghost face, transparent and faint, superimposed over my brother-in-law's chiseled features. What are you doing? I asked him quietly, human to human. His mouth turned down, fiercely unhappy, and he said, Nothing, I have to go. He pushed past me, took the stairs, race-walking towards his red Nissan Armada, Go where? I called after him. He didn't so much as glance over his shoulder. He threw the bag into the SUV and climbed in after it. I hovered on the porch, cake carried it in my hand. My original mission shattered. Part of me wanted to slink home, but after Jake's bizarre behavior, I had to check on Rachel and Lavender. I tried the door, and it wasn't locked. I stepped in into Rachel's vaulted foyer, and immediately I heard the, heard her running towards me from the kitchen shrieking. I said, get out, you mother. F-. Rachel sp- sputtered out mid profanity when she came into the archway and saw that it was me. She skittered to a stop just inside the dining room. She was barefoot, which nature- Rachel never was, with crazy tangled hair, which Rachel never had, and two black eyes. Rachel? I said, my heart rate jacking, horrified. I was still trying to process the sudden alternate dimension in which Rachel would shriek the f-word at her husband and now I was in a completely impossible universe, one where JJ would hit my stepsister. Rachel blinked and fluttered at me and even even though her eyes were swollen, I realized it was only mascara and liquid liner, she wept off and rubbed into black raccoon rings. Then I could breathe again. Barely. Poor Digby got insta-drunk on panic chemicals that had been dumped into my bloodstream. He fizzed like a short short glass full of 7-Up at my core. At a fraught pause, Rachel's hand went into her hair, tried to smooth it, her chest heaving. It was funny in an awful way because her hair was the least of it. Everywhere my eyes went, things were wrong. So many things, I couldn't catalog them at all. The huge mirror over the serving bar was shattered. Shards of green glass and what looked like red wine splashed over the mirrored slivers. One of the dining room chairs lay on its side, others catty warmford. All eight were usually spaced with mathematical precision around the table. Rachel gave up on her hair and stepped toward me. Taking the cake carried in a parody of a gracious hostess, she turned and plopped on the table and took the lid off. Is this your grandmother's recipe? she said. When I nodded, she reached out with one bare hand to tear a huge hunk off. I watched in disbelief as this strange black eyed creature who'd replaced my stepsister starting, started eating it methodically, like it was a punishment. That's when I knew that Jake was cheating on her. Unfathomable. Rachel was a prize, longed for, fought for, reached at last. 16 years of marriage, and as late as last week, his eyes still tracked her, greedy whenever she was in the room. She looked at Rachel as if at any second he would grab her willowy waist, swing her up, and set her on the mantelpiece, the finest piece of piece of art placed in the room's focal center. But he was cheating. I would have bet a million dollars for it on it. Perhaps only because he'd called me lay. In that single syllable, history had reared an ugly head so ancient it felt like my mythology. My understanding rose from the sweaty, urgent, single incident of clasping that had passed between us back when we were kids. The day after his dad died, JJ came weeping down to me in the basement. I took him in my arms, and he burrowed and clung, his hot hot face pressed into my neck, his tears scalding. He was a sad, soft animal, urgently snuffling and rooting for me, racked with shocked grief. I pulled him even closer. Holding him tight, like it was like I I was trying to tuck all the desperation up inside my skin and soothe it. No matter how tight, I squeezed my arms and legs around him. His unwieldy body squished out around my clamping. His sorrow too, too large to be contained. Then we were kissing. It was sad and wet and frantic. His face slick with tears and snot, but I didn't mind. It felt like huge ballooning love. We shoved bits of clothes up and aside, pressing closer and closer and closer until I was talk, taking in, taking him in. It hurt a little, but I felt calm and welcoming and something else. The only word for it was powerful, powerful, but not superior, not above him. It wasn't like that. It was like um, I stepped off a cliff and found myself standing on air in an effortless, surprising hover. I'd always had this kind of a secret power. I used it without thinking. I guess, without knowing that I could always have it, use it for good, I thought to help my wounded friend. It wasn't romantic. I'd never girl-crushed on him in some silly, ain't he dreamy way. I only loved him whole. He was my best friend. He knew all my secrets. And he told me all but one of his. I would cried face down in his lap after my cat died. He was the last person I talked to every night on the phone, and he was the first person I wanted to see every morning. We picked up our endless and ongoing conversation on the bus, between classes, at lunch, and after school at my house, with no need for segues of greetings. Now here, he was in my basement, ruined in my arms, and it was too good to wrap protectively around him as he rooted and pushed and sobbed his guts out. Then he gasped and stiffened, and I felt it all come out of him. All the writhing misery, I pulled it right off, right out of his body and into mine. His rigidness relaxed in peace, and I felt a swell of pride that I could do this for him. We lay in each other's arms for a dozen heartbeats, perfectly still and still perfectly together. In that silence, I felt something starting, and it was the story of me and JJ. I teetered on an in- internal edge, feeling a step toward beginning of the whole real life. First comes love, I thought. Even though I was only seventeen, I knew all the things that would be next. I could imagine me and JJ at college, at our jobs, at our wedding, all the way up to a baby. We would see, we would be, we would make exactly like this. Somebody with a nose and my deep-set eyes. There was one next another for us, so obvious and easy, and no need to hurry. It was ahead of us, and we were past, complete, our bodies linked, on the brink of our beginning. Then he was prank scrambling away from me and tried to get all his clothes straight, his cheeks staining even redder when he saw a smear of blood on my inner thigh. He mumbled something about needing to get home. He wouldn't look at my face. I was still mostly wearing my nerd girl standard issue uniform, a thrift store dress with combat boots, and I felt so ni- so naked then. I had to sit up and put my left leg back into my panties. Fasten my top buttons. Tie my left boot. Smooth my hem. When I looked up, he had gone. The next day, he wasn't at school. He never came back to school. And he didn't return any of my calls. I went to his house four times. But he wouldn't come downstairs to see me. He didn't speak to me ever again until that Christmas. Until that Christmas. He came after Rachel. I didn't get pregnant that time, which puts me at a lifetime score of 1 for 2 on random, unprotected sexual encounters. I never told anyone about me and JJ, not Rachel, not mom or Keith, not the small tribe of nerd girls at my lunch table. It hurt too much to say. I've been demoted from my best friend down to a clinic. It ruined something else inside me. That was the year I started drawing violence anyway. I had been doing a funny strip starring a character called Violet, who looked like me and he, who frolicked about accidentally thwarting crime. After JJ, prototypes of violence starting start, uh, starting hiding in the margins, watching my tune, watching over her. Violet changed too, evolving into a version of me, who did have super pretty as a power, and anyone screwed with her met violence. Violence ate men like they were snack cakes and was never, never sorry. That was violence's true origin story. She came to me when my heart got ripped out and ruined under seven minutes. But that was not a tale that I could sell to Dark Horse, unfortunately. Later, when JJ reappeared and Rachel got so serious about him, I made myself believe that he was a new guy, some stranger I admit. Especially after they got married and then Lavender came, I separated Jake from JJ, my ex-bestie who once wept and writhed and used me, spending his sorrows in my body while keeping his heart for Rachel for later. It was this piece of secret, ugly history that made sure that he was capable of thoroughly shitty sexual behavior now. This cake is amazing, Rachel said with her mouth full. She stuffed more in. Where's lavender? I asked. Rachel shot me an irked look her mouth now too full to answer. She stood in profile to me, chewing, breathing heavily, and out through her nose. After she swallowed, she dropped the rest of the chunk of the cake onto the floor and dusted her hands together, adding crumbs to the carnage. She walked down the street to play at Olivia's house. Surely, you don't think I'd let my child witness this? She said it, flat, rhetorical. But after the last five minutes, I wasn't sure of anything. I never seen her this way. Never. I hadn't been allowed to, not even when I might have helped. As a kid, she did all the grieving in the laundry closet with no witness except Thimble, her stuffed bunny. Back then, at least, I knew when she was ruined. I would sit outside the closet in silent solidarity and be extra nice to her when she emerged. As an adult, I couldn't even do that much. I didn't have the intel. Never seen her weep her mascara off. Not even once. What did he do? I asked. Meaning, how had Rachel caught him? Was it a true affair? Or a one-night stand? A hooker? It didn't actually matter. I was on her side. Period. Because Rachel was a step in name only. We were already barely there when mom and Keith got married. I had no concrete memories of her life before her. She was family. While Jake was like her garden shed, fabricated elsewhere and then added on. And the boy he used to be, JJ, he was a bullet jaw. dodged years ago. Ah, finally, Rachel straightened up. She had five inches on me, even with barefoot. I watched her trying to gather the shreds of her cold blonde dignity. She couldn't quite. The raccoon eyes spoiled a lot of it and the ways. Her hands were shaking, spoiled the rest. What are you even doing here, Leah? Did you get my email? The trim- the tremble in her voice wrecked her go-to tone of fond exasperation. She was trying to pretend her dining room wasn't broken full, wasn't always full of broken glass and upended furniture. Like the problem here was my inability to check my messages. Ah, uh, let me see, I said, and it was a relief to look away from this nakedly wretched Rachel scrabbling in my purse to turn on to my phone is this really you want to talk about i don't want to talk at all Rachel barked suddenly so vehemently so that i looked uh, that i looked back to her in spite of myself her hands fisted in her wonky hair her phone buzzed and pinged in my hands a text was landing another another my underdog theme song ring, ringtone started Cheery in fraught silence. The screen said, Polly Fincher, the first Baptist member down in Birchville. I sent her call to voicemail, and I started to ask Rachel if I could at least get her, help her straighten up the room before Lavender got home. I barely got two words out before pings of more text landing sounded. Then my store phone started ringing again. What's going on? Rachel asked. I opened up Messenger and saw a host of familiar names. Louis Ganey, Chester Beckwith, Alston Rhodes, Pastor Rick, and more, all virtual people. My heart shuddered, and I started flipping through them. They all said variations of the same thing. What's the matter with Miss Birchie? Oh, honey, we're all sick, worried. What does her doctor say? How long has she been this bad off? And from Martina Mack, the wishes came. Your granny surely showed her ugly in church this morning. I looked up at Rachel, stricken. What? She said. Leah, what? Birchie. Something's wrong with Birchie. Bad wrong too, because my phone started ringing again. Pastor Rick, but I didn't want to talk to him. I needed to talk to Wattie. I swiped him to voicemail and still more messages were landing. Childhood summers aside, I never lived in Birchville. Since I'd graduated high school, I never spent more than a week at the time there. But I was a birch, the last birch, so far as they knew. And this was what round two of all the texts were saying. Come home. Come home. You must come home. Please come home. I reached for Rachel. Blindly moving toward her, and instantly, her failed rally made good. It was as if she teleported, teleported slightly above and to the left of her human turmoil, ready to help me, to fix and manage my mess. This was her essential self, her place, always, as the rest of us mere mortals plodded through her tacky mud. It was sad, and it could be enraging, but it was also very, very useful when the world went south. Did she fall? Rachel asked, putting a comforting hand around me as we peered into the phone. The fall had been a worry for a dozen years now. Those those damn staircases all over the place. I don't know. I don't know. I opened my email and the first versions of the day events were already landing. Rachel and I read in tandem. I was too horrified to be relieved that Pergi hadn't broken a hip. This was somehow worse, though. She had survived so much, been so essentially and willfully herself. She was bull-minded, chock-full of strong opinions that often belied her gentle passion of old-south looks. But now, the text was saying that his help, she had apparently snuck her way down deep into senile dementia or Alzheimer's. I have to get there. I have to go. My hands were now the shaking ones, and I couldn't get the phone to do right. But she had refused to leave her town, much less than her house, before And before Wattie had moved in, she had driven off a string of in-home nurses. She had thrown her life alert away, saying that the dogs wore were, were callers and she barely remembered to charge the cell phone I brought her. Her whole support system was Watty, who almost was aw- as old as she was. Breathe, sweetie. We can't even be sure what we are up against until you go and see. I can book your travel while you are packing, Rachel said. I loved her for that inclusive pronoun, what we are up against, the casual, unconscious declaration that she owned a share in my troubles. That felt sweet. But you have things going on here too. I mean with j Jake, I said. I wanted a share in hers as well. I don't want to. Shh. We'll fix me later. Rachel lied. I let her. My dear old Birgie, far away and failing, trumped whatever Jake was doing in with his penis. I kept flipping through the emails. The more versions I read, the more I found was I was also furious. Those two devious old ladies have put one over on the whole town for God only knew how long, smiling and tatting anti Mac- and showing up for church bake sales. They didn't want their lives to change, so they had deliberately hidden truths. Oh so angry. Going back to read the latest text, you made me only angrier. So many of our family friends assumed I knew. They were asking me what her doctor said, how long has it been going on, and what I plan to do. Only Martina Mack assumed that I'd be in the dark. Her latest Facebook message called me, irresponsible and either blind or very stupid for abandoning an old, poor, crazy lady. to The slapdash care of an ancient colored maid. I wasn't sure which of these three descriptions made me the maddest, but then I was sure. The first one, obviously, the one aimed at me, because it was the only charge I was that was remotely accurate. I was irresponsible, yes, and I had been both blind and stupid. This wasn't on the whole town, or even on the dupli- duplicious old darlings. I should have noticed. I should have seen. I saw Birchie's closest, Birchie's only. I was the one who shouldn't have been fooled. Who knew what damage has happened on my watch? I should have moved here, by me, where I could get help her. I said, and instantly regretted it, when Rachel's eyes met mine. She had a thousand, I told you so, she could rightfully say in the response to this. She had long thought my grandmother had no business living in town, which she called a pimple-sized backwater with nothing but a Walgreens duck in a box and an equinine wet. I could see her trying to choose the words that would best express how very right she had been all along, as always, and the pause we heard it, a soft snuffling sound coming from somewhere above us. We looked up, and there was Lavender. She sat. And into a teeny folded pocket on the balcony above the vaulted foyer, she stared through the white bars of the railing. Her hands fisted around two of them like a girl in a, in a delicately spindled lady jail. When Lavender turned thirteen, Rachel had taken care, t- taken her to a clinic counter to learn makeup and skincare. Now her eyes were ringed just like her mother's with soft brown starter mascara the superior wiser thing rachel had be, was which rachel was about to say died in her mouth she exhaled the uh, she exhaled its ghost in a small gasp olivia wasn't home lavender said oh no rachel said quietly bereft i learned then that i already had mother hands they moved of their own volition to my belly Two steps ahead of thinking, shielding Digby from any bad thing that might hurt him one day, later when he was out of me and was being his own self. Rachel's hand moved at the same time, rising towards lavender. I could see in her reaching hands the need to hold her baby, hide her eyes, form cups over her ep- open ears. Too late. Whatever awfulness has had happened between JJ and Rachel, uh, Rachel, my niece, had been a witness, unshielded. Lavender had been a witness to it all.